All right, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Bible Quest, the Tuesday edition. Uh, I'm your host, Jonathan Sadler, and uh, today we're going to be talking about some different things in the text of James, um, but we'll get there in just a few minutes. Um, before we start into our discussion and topics today, we'll just make everyone aware again of how you can interact with us on the show. Um, if you're coming in on the Zoom app, you can submit your questions and your comments to the Q&A box there in Zoom uh, or to the chat window. Either one works fine, uh, and we'll be happy to address those throughout our show. Or if you're coming in on Scott's Facebook page, you can type those in into the comment window on his Facebook page, uh, and we'll be monitoring those throughout the show as well. Um, so if you have a question about what we're discussing today or any other Bible topic you'd like us to discuss, you can submit those to us and we'd be happy to, to pivot and, and talk about what you want to talk about today as well. Um, so let's bring in our panelists. Um, we've got Scott Smelser, our program director with us. How are you doing today, Scott? Doing well. Good. Good to see you. Uh, Justin Dobbs is with us as well. How are you, Justin? Doing fine. Thank God. Good. Good to see you, Justin. And how are you, Dan? Dan Bunting. Great. I'm doing great. Great. Good to see all of you guys today. Um, so I already mentioned we're going to be back in the text in James unless we have some other question that comes up. So we left off last week uh, in James chapter two, and I believe we're ready for right there kind of in the middle of James in James chapter two, verse eight. So do one of you guys want to read that section and we'll start kind of breaking down what's going on here? I can start reading this time. James two, starting in verse eight. If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Justin, talk to us about that text. Uh... I like how in verse eight, he says, if you really fulfill the royal law. Um, so James is, is looking at a people who are committed to the law, but it's, there's a way to sort of be um, fake and false in our commitment that we look like we're doing it right, but we're not really doing it right. And so we're sort of keeping part of the law, but we're, we're partial. So in two, one through seven, people who are partial in our treatment of other people should be surprising that we might be partial in our treatment of God's law. We kind of pick and choose what we want to do. So verse 10, uh, if we're going to keep the law, but say, yeah, except for this one idea, this one little point, I'm not a big, big follower of that. Uh, it, it, it's not so much that we're trying to obey God. Uh, I think C.S. Lewis said, um, my dog doesn't really obey me. He disagrees with me sometimes. And I, I think, you know, that's, that's kind of what's happening here is we're like, yeah, God, I, I like what you say on that, you know, murder is bad, adultery is bad, but, you know, thievery, pride. Yeah. So we've got to be fully committed to God or we're just committed to our own ideals. Good. Other comments? I like how he, for his examples, he goes to some pretty big extremes which is, a, you know, it's pretty easy. When I do that in my sermons, I, when I want to bring up a sin, I say, well, you know, it's not like I'm murdering anybody. That's, that's a pretty, pretty easy one usually to, to hold back from. And he's using adultery and murder, which are pretty extreme sins with pretty extreme consequences and really clear lines, right? You know, sometimes covetousness, it's a hard time to draw the line somewhere. But he opens it up with one of those complicated ones. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And we want to try to draw that line a thousand different places to limit the love and to, to, to rein in what our responsibility. And so he uses pretty big extremes to illustrate it. But I doubt the letter was going out to a bunch of people who are struggling with murder. I think it was probably going out to a bunch of people who are struggling with love. And he used that murder as the extreme example to say, look, you might not murder, you might not commit adultery, but what about the royal law? 
And how about this statement, good points. How about this statement that if you commit one, you're guilty of all? Because why can't I say, okay, yeah, I killed the guy, but I didn't sleep with his wife. I want points there. Um, why, why am I guilty of all? That's a neat phrase. I wonder, is, is he speaking, and I'm just wondering this, is he speaking in hyperbole and extremes? If you've done one, you've done it all, you, you've ruined everything, or is he actually equating it, where if you have committed sin A and you didn't do B, it still means you did B. I doubt he means it's, he's equating it. I think the, the answer lies in the text itself. It says, for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he has become guilty of all. For he that said, do not, not commit adultery, also said, do not kill. So I've broken God's law. So going back to, you know, my dog doesn't obey me. He just agrees with me sometimes. Uh, why didn't you, why did you kill the guy? Because I wanted to. Why didn't you sleep with his wife? Because he's ugly. You see, I'm doing what I want in both cases. Um, if you stop and think about it, the sins that you have done are the sins you wanted to do. And we could make a list of sins. Look, I never did. I never burned down a bank. I have never committed bank arson. Uh, it's a pretty small niche there. Sorry. <laughs> That's, uh, um, but it's true. It's a true statement. It's true. I'm down a bank. Uh, but I never really wanted to. So here's God's law. It's not just technicalities. We rebelled against the creator. And when we rebelled against his law, we rebelled against his law. Uh, when we were moving Justin in the other day, uh, you know, if they had an antique mirror and I dropped it and broke it, it doesn't do any good to pick up one fragment and say, look, Justin, you know, tell Lindsay this part isn't broken. It's broken. We went ahead and hung it up anyway, so it's all good for us. <laughs> and I didn't burn down a bank. Yeah, and I think I think we do miss that sometimes. We sort of look at the law as a list of rules, and we get points for keeping some of them, and points docked for breaking some of them. And when we only break them occasionally, we feel pretty good about it. But we keep them most of the time, you know, when we're not tempted to break them. But we forget that really this is about this relationship, and that's going to be highlighted more as we go through this text, but uh, there's a person behind the law, which kind of sets Christianity apart from so many other religions where it's not just here's this system of ideas uh, that you need to keep this and be a good moral upstanding person. This is what it means to be a moral upstanding person. It's you've got a, a responsibility toward this individual who created you. And he's judging you and he's going to evaluate the way you lived. So it's, it is so much about pleasing him and not just achieving something. Yeah. Y'all have touched on this, but, but I explored a little bit more in like thinking about the beam of the moat. Why is it that we tend to want to be partial and pick, okay, here's the ones I'm going to obey. And why is it that we tend to easily see when other people are sinful because they did the ones that we didn't do. There's, there's this level of kind of foolishness that really everyone has to, has to strive to overcome. And, and that is that you, you never, just like logically thinking about it, people don't do things when they're th in their right mind thinking that it's the wrong thing. Um, like I do the things that I do because I think I'm, I'm right and I'm correct in what I'm doing and my assumptions and my worldview and, and, you know, whatever else. And so if I'm right, then that means if you're opposite of me, then you're wrong. Um, and it's really hard to look introspectively at ourselves and admit that we're wrong, which is really the basis of, of Christianity. That's, that's the first step of Christianity ad, admitting that you are wrong, that you're incomplete, that you're fallible and that you need the grace of God. Um, and, and you need the direction of Christ and you need the, the word of God to penetrate your heart and those sorts of things. Um, but it, that's, 
those are hard words to say. Um, you know, I'm wrong, and and it's uncomfortable being confronted with that reality. All right, good points. Anything else on this section before we go to verse thirteen? It's hard not to pull from further ahead, but chapter four is going to kind of reflect back on this uh, in chapter four, verse 11. He says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. So there's that kind of partiality happening again. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. Uh, and I think that's part of partly an answer to your question, Scott, is why do we judge certain things wrong? You know, this part of the law, like that's the really important part. And we, we sort of set ourselves up alongside God, like, you know, God move over on your, your judge's bench and let me sit there too. And I'm going to evaluate the law and, and decide which parts are good. And so it, it is a way of thrusting God out of his place, uh, which is, I don't think of disobedience that way, um, but I need to, I need to learn to see uh, this kind of judgment that I have put myself into rather than living under his judgment. Yeah, and the, the important parts of the law are not the ones I happen to be good at. You know, that's, that's, and the unimportant ones are not, oh, that's the ones I'm not good at. All right, verse 13. Jonathan, talk to us about that, please. Yeah, verse 13 is really, uh, I think, a really straightforward idea that's repeated a lot of times, actually, in Scripture. Uh, it says that judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Um, this echoes back, and we've made this point before in James, that James will often echo the teachings of Jesus. Um, and it echoes back to Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus is preaching in the, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And he's just prayed this prayer to show like a model of, of how to pray and different components of prayer, I suppose. And in verse 12 of Matthew chapter 6, uh, he says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And he goes on in verse 14 to give commentary on that idea. And Matthew 6, 14, he says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. And that idea, again, is repeated by Jesus after he gives the parable of the unforgiving servant, in Matthew 18, uh, that if you don't forgive your father won't forgive you. Uh, and so James is just sending this really simple truth out that how you treat people matters. That's really kind of what this whole section is about, showing partiality and loving people and showing mercy to people and forgiving people. What it boils down to is how you treat others is, is to a certain level how God is going to treat you. Um, so be loving to others. John would say in 1 John chapter 4, if you say, I love God, but hate your brother, you're a liar. <laughs> um, you know, loving others and loving God are integrally connected. Um, and so, you know, we need to work on that and how we treat one another and our forgiveness and patience with others and mercy. Um, because, you know, frankly, sometimes in my life, how I've treated other people, I don't want God to treat me that way. <laughs> um, and I think that's what James is trying to get us to think, you know, how do you want God to treat you? Well, how are you treating other people? Because that's largely how God is going to treat you. Um, and that's, that's shocking and, and hard, but should be life-altering. Yeah, yep. that, that just really jumped out at me because I've been thinking back through some of the things that James has said in his letter. And um, one of my favorite passages is at the end of chapter one. If you think you're religious, but you don't bridle your tongue, and he's talking about what, what's it take to be really, really religious and it's taking care of orphans and widows, which is not the exciting stuff. <laughs> when you start making a list of how to be religious, that's not an exciting task. And the next thing he talks about is uh, not showing partiality to the cool people, uh, the rich people, but, but bending down and, and help, stooping down and helping the, the lowly. And then he immediately talks, into, talks about loving your neighbor as yourself. Uh, it's, it's easy for me to make religion and spirituality be all about my connection with with the divine and my relationship with God and 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 um, that's a very big part of it for sure. But everything that James has said so far has has made us demanded that we realize that being religious and being spiritually minded and having this great connection with the divine is my interaction with people that are down here with me, and that's really surprising. 
Jonathan, then I'll come back. Yeah, and and exactly what Dan said. Another thing that made me think of one of Jesus's parables or teachings in in Matthew twenty five when he talks about the sheep and the goats and that day of judgment and kind of the criteria of judgment, he has the sheep on his right hand that are able to enter into rest. And he says, because you took care of me. And they, they all say, you know, what do you mean? We took care of you. We, we fed you and clothed you and all that kind of stuff. And he says, when you did it to the least of my brothers, you did it to me. And then the opposite, the goats on his left hand didn't take care of Jesus. And they're surprised. And they think, when did we not take care of you? Uh, and he says, when you didn't care for others, you weren't caring for me. And so there, I mean, again, over and over that, that thing that Dan just said, our relationship with God in a lot of ways is also our relationship with others and with, with his creation. Justin. Uh, uh, on that note in verse 13, it talks about, or verse 12, it talks about law of liberty. And that same phrase is used earlier in 125, the law of liberty. And it's interesting, he says he'll be blessed in keeping the law of liberty. And then 2.8, in fulfilling the royal law, there's this blessing that is meant to be uh, given to others. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I think sometimes I view the law of God as something that if I fail to keep it, I'll be cursed. And that's right. I mean, in a sense, you know, Deuteronomy talks about the, the curses for disobeying. But I forget the other part where there was supposed to be this blessing for obedience and it's not just for me, it's for everybody else. So when I see other people disobeying, um, my first response may be kind of a judgmental, angry, like you didn't obey God, you deserve punishment. And instead of this, what it ought to be is this grievous, you're not getting the blessing of obeying God. I am really broken for you. I'm sad for you here. Uh, I want to love my neighbor. I want to love you by helping you to obey and by me obeying. And so really, yeah, learning to, to obey God is a way for me to love other people and helping others to obey God is a way for them to receive the blessing of obeying God. So uh, this whole motivation for obeying God, it's, it's not just checking the boxes again. It is, wow, there's this person here and he wants to bless me. Let me learn to receive that by obeying him. And as it says in the Torah, God's commandments are for our good always. I want to come back to something Dan mentioned earlier about when we make everything about my relationship with God, which is important. I mean, a lot of the Psalms deal with, you know, David's relationship with God. We should want a good relationship with God. But you said something there, Dan, that uh, I'm, I'm seeing a lot. And it's where people use Christianity or the idea of being able to have a relationship with God for self-exaltation purposes rather than service purposes and the way you described it, i thought was very good it reminded me of a statement um we had somebody that had been going to a mega church start attending our assemblies which which were much simpler uh it, but they said one of the problems at the mega church they had they'd shifted you know the type of music and everything and she said all the songs now were about me and I'll also meet people who, you know, they, they want the book of Revelation to talk about their time in history. Yeah. They, want, they want to be a prophet. They want God had this special message for me, not you, maybe. This special plan for me, not you. And it's, there's, there's a real arrogance problem in a lot of that. And if you listen to a lot of the music uh, that's out there in, you know, air quotes, Christian music, uh, sometimes there's not much praise and reverence. But my feelings, my, you know, and, and somebody said, uh, maybe it was Stephen Rouse, but he maybe got from somebody else. If your song about Jesus, if you took out the word Jesus and it could be a boyfriend pop song, you know, it's not a very good song. <laughs> and, uh, but there's, there, we've also got, also got some songs in the books, like, uh, I'm satisfied with just cottage below a little silver and a little gold, but in that mansion where the ransom will shine, I want a gold one that's silver lined and I want a Lexus and an indoor pool in a nice room. 
Yikes. Wouldn't that be cool? That might not be the lines, but it was something to that effect. Oh, you're, you're hurting, hurting us here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it's interesting. You, you're making me think of Psalm 1 here, Scott, where this focus on the law, James has this focus on the law. Psalms, I often think of as this book of praise. And someone pointed out to me, maybe I read a commentary, somebody pointed out to me not too long ago, the book of Psalms begins with, blessed is the man. And so it's like, oh, here's this book of praise. And it begins with us. Got my got my attention, but who delights in the law of God, and and so the you know we are blessed in worshiping God so long as God is the object of our worship, so long as He gets the focus, and so yes, there is the blessing to us. But once that becomes a focus, we start looking to any and every God who will give us the things that we want, and that's where we dry up and die. So we've we've got to keep the focus on God and trust that He does bless those who obey Him. Very good. Any other comments before we go to 14? Uh, just a, just a question. Real quick. I'm sorry. Verse 13. Um, I've seen verse 13 used, and we were kind of going over this before, um, this idea of judgment and mercy. And I, I think I understand this idea where we're looking for mercy from God. And so we're trying to show mercy to other people. Um, what should we get should, should, is there anything that we should understand about God's judgment from this verse? Uh, is it that God is just merciful all the time um, and that he expects us to sort of pass mercy along without any kind of righteous rubric at work here, just kind of live and let live? Um, I, mean, I think the answer is no, but I've seen this verse used for that kind of thing, that, that mercy triumphs over judgment, meaning God is not going to judge. He's just going to pass along the mercy. I'll mention one verse in James 3, and we'll go to Jonathan there. James 3 says, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceful. Go ahead, John. Uh, yeah, just what you're saying, Justin, made me think of two different places. In, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul makes it very clear what God's desire is. Uh, he says in 1 Timothy 2 verse 4, it is God's desire that all should come to repentance and a knowledge of the truth. And Peter will make a similar statement. God certainly wants all people to receive his mercy. Um, but my mind also goes to another thing that or that God would say to one of his people back in the period of the divided kingdom, when the prophet uh, goes to King Asa and tells King Asa, God will be with you so long as you are with him. But if you forsake the Lord, the Lord will forsake you. So so God still has his standards of judgment. And he has like what Scott brought up later on in James was that his wisdom from above, which is first pure and holy. God is a holy God, but he's also a God that desires to be merciful. Um, so, yeah, like, well, that's, that's helpful. Oh, go ahead. I'd like to read a text from Roman uh, Revelation 12 that might help is as one picture of mercy triumphing over judgment. The great dragon was thrown down, that old, that ancient serpent. He was thrown down to the earth, verse 10. And I heard a voice in heaven. Now the salvation and power and kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been the, I lost my spot. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God, and they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb. So he wanted judgment. Without the blood of Christ, there, there's going to be judgment. But through the blood of Christ, mercy triumphs over judgment. Dan. And just to, to, to really the same thing that you said just now and a little bit earlier, going back to. Uh, at the end of chapter three in James, when he's comparing the wisdom from above and the wisdom from below, when you look at the wisdom that's from the, that is earthly, uh, verse sixteen, jealousy, selfish ambition, disorder, and every vile practice. That that's that's a life of judgment, of 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 judging others and and demanding judgment, and and that's what jealousy is, judging what you know and envy like that should be mine, but the wisdom that is above is first pure and peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy. Well, that's a given. I, that one, you know, but good fruits, impartial, sincere. Those are all behaviors of, of mercy and connected to mercy's listed in there. Uh, but that, 
mercy triumphs over a judgment is a big capital T truth that we can illustrate in a million different ways. But here on earth, it seems untrue. You know, we're pulled to, to act uh, selfishly and with judgment and judgmental and to get what is mine rather than uh, appreciating that mercy in fact does triumph over judgment like you just read in the end when when that satan when that certain serpent satan is finally cast down all right anything else on that before we go to 14 good comment good discussion guys all right let's take a look there at verse 14 and somebody please read 14 through 17. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed, filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Okay, so I'm going to share a PowerPoint here. Is my screen showing? Yes, sir. Yeah. Okay, so there's our brother out there, and he's cold, he's hungry, and the answer is what? Be warmed and filled. Um, and he goes on to say, demons also believe, are you willing to recognize faith without works is useless. But we mentioned when we first started, James, that James echoes the teachings of Jesus constantly. And what is being echoed here, uh, it matches it. I believe it's a conscience echo, but it at least matches it. Notice, if a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one says, go in peace, be warmed and filled, and yet doesn't give them, what does that remind you of in the verbal teachings of Jesus? I don't think that's think... Go, go ahead, Justin. Well, it makes me think of Matthew 6, where uh, not, not worry, uh, because God is going to feed and clothe us, Matthew 6 there. Okay, that's very important, but there's one even closer, because the point here that what, what good is that faith going to do? Uh, will, will that faith save him? No, this guy on the day of judgment, after he's just saying, be warmed and filled, He's not going to be accepted. That's clear from James 2, but it's also clear from the teachings of Jesus. Ring a bell, anybody? There's the parable of Lazarus, and there's the parable of the sheep of the goats. Yeah. When the Son of Man comes, the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat, naked. And you clothed me to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, you did it to me. Mm -hmm. But then he says to the goats, depart from me into the eternal fire. For I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. And this is exactly what you have here. And, and yet you do not give them. Uh, I was naked and you did not clothe me to the extent that you did not do it to one of these least. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Mm -hmm. uh, all right, let's continue the text here. Somebody read for us 18 through 26, please. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. He was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith also apart from works is dead also. Okay, so here's a question. James says that we're justified 
not by faith only. Uh, he, it says, you see that by works, a man is justified and not by faith only. And he quotes Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. In Romans 4, Paul quotes Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. And what does Paul say about faith works in justification? Abraham was saved by faith. Yeah, not by works. So Paul says we're justified by faith. He doesn't add the word only like Luther later added in the German uh, back in Romans 3. Paul never says faith only. And Romans begins and ends, his first and last reference to faith in Romans is obedient faith, both in chapter 1 and chapter 16. Jonathan? Um, I, I do just want to point out, because I really like this section. I like how I like how James writes this. It's very logical in what he says and how he introduces this idea. In, in verse 18, it looks to me like what he's doing in verse 18 is he's saying, now let me talk about the, the scenario where maybe someone might assume that what they do doesn't matter because they believe. And like, that's what you're saying. You're saying it doesn't matter what I do because I believe. And then he says, show me that. <laughs> Show me that you believe without doing something. Show me your faith apart from your works. Yeah. And the implication of that, I think, is that's impossible. Um, and then he goes on to say, I'll show you my faith by my works. And he gives the example of Abraham, like what we're talking about, where he says in uh, verse 22, faith was completed by his works. Um, it reminds me, this isn't an exact comparison, but it reminds me of something that Jesus does in Mark chapter 2 when he heals the paralytic man um and and first he says your sins are forgiven and everyone's like whoa hold on only only god can forgive sins and then jesus says so that you may believe that the son of man has authority to forgive sins on earth i say to you take up your bed and walk so what he's doing is you know, he asks you know which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or take up your bed and walk his point is you can't see sins being forgiven, but you can see a paralyzed man walking. And so he uses that to prove the unseen. And it's the same relationship that works has with faith. Our works prove our unseen faith in a lot of ways. And, and like you said, James is addressing the idea that you can't just say, well, I've got faith, so I don't have to obey. And Paul makes that point too, except off grace, which is where we're putting our trust in. What chapter in Romans does Paul stop and for a whole chapter point out, hey, being saved by grace doesn't mean we don't have to obey. What chapter is that? Chapter six. Yeah, yeah, chapter six. So um, my clock went away here. What time is it? So I know how to time this. Okay, all right. I want to run through some charts here and get some discussion on this. Um, but because we do have this that Paul says we are not saved by our works, Ephesians 2, and in Romans 4, uh, uh, again, and quotes Genesis 15, 6. And James says we are saved by works. And so let, let's discuss this a little bit. First off, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. By grace, have you been saved through faith? Faith is not what does the saving. We will read about justification in through faith, but at the primary sense, here as in seen in Ephesians 2 8 through 10, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. If there was no grace, what, what, how, how would there be any redemption in faith? In faith, we're trusting in Christ who paid for our sins, and it is by grace have you been saved. And a good way to help people understand this is for us to ask ourselves and ask them, how many of our sins did we pay for by believing? Zero. Yeah, yeah. How many of our sins are paid for by the blood of Christ? 100%. Yeah. By grace have you been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God not a result of works that no man may boast. And in a Romans 4, it goes on and saying, if it was by works, it wouldn't be grace, it would be debt. For instance, you, know, you go down here and you get a job at, at a company and you work for them all week. And what do you expect at the end? Paycheck. Yeah, because they owe it to you. 
They are in debt to pay you that because you earned it and you owed it. We're not saved by that kind of works. We're not earned and we're not owed it. By grace have you been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so no one may boast. But look at the end of the verse. Why did God create us this way? For good works. Yeah, for good works. Okay, so they're important, but that's not where the redemption is. So we're talking here about is biblical faith a faith-only faith or a faithful faith? Um, when people think that our works not saving us mean we don't need to obey, they need to keep reading the rest of that letter. That's true in Romans, it's true in Ephesians, it's true in Galatians. For example, people will cite Ephesians 2a, and you guys have heard people, that, no, you don't, they, their idea is you don't have to obey, and they'll say, because we're saved by faith, not saved by grace through faith, not by works, and it's, it's not by works, and it's whoever believes, but if you keep reading, what does it say in Ephesians 5, 3 through 6? Do not be deceived. If you keep practicing fornication, uncleanness, covetousness, that you can be sure you will not inherit what? The kingdom of God. Yeah. And if you keep reading Romans, somebody just sum up Romans 6. That just because God has given us all of his grace doesn't mean you can keep doing whatever you want. Uh, we've died to the world. And then he breaks it down at the end of the chapter and says, you get to decide, are you going to be a slave of what? You can either be a slave of sin or you can be a slave of righteousness. There's no in between, you know, what you do matters in receiving God's grace. Yeah. And John 3.16 says, whosoever believes, but then it also says in John 12.42, somebody read that for us, please. I got that. It says, uh, nevertheless, many, even the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So the beginning of the verse points out that they believed, but the, but, the rest of the verse. Yeah. And that's a lot like these guys, this guy here at the door, he warmed and filled, you know, there, there's no follow through. So, our works do not redeem us, they do not save us, Ephesians 2, Titus 3, etc. Having sinned, our works condemn us, Romans 3, 23, all of sin and fall short, 6, 23, and James 1, look at there, if you kept the whole law but stumbled in how many? One, you're, you're guilty of all. So who can be saved? You remember when the rich young ruler comes running to Jesus, falls at his feet, and tell me what to do. Jesus says, keep the commandments. Which ones? Jesus names him. He's like, did it, did it, did it, did it. What else? And Jesus ends up saying, you're missing one thing. Man, that sounds pretty good. And, you know, the apostles might have been thinking, this is guy's like going to be a super disciple. And then all of a sudden he's walking away, and Jesus said, there's no way he's getting into the kingdom of heaven. And the apostles are amazed. And they said, then who can? Yeah. And Jesus said, with men, it's impossible. That's the bad news. But what's the next phrase? The good news. With God, it is everything is possible. Yeah. So by grace, it's Jesus that saves people from their sins. Jesus is a savior who died for us sinners, saves us by his grace, but Jesus is also Lord, who has the right to lead us and must be obeyed. Two different roles, both must be respected. And let's look at works. Jesus, James, John, Peter, Paul, they all point out that we're judged by our works. Judged is a different word than saved and redeemed. So Ephesians 2, by grace have you been saved, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works. But Titus 3, not by works, which we did ourselves, but according to his mercy, he saved us. But what does John say in Revelation 20, 12? What's going to happen at the great white throne? Every man will be judged according to their works. And what does Peter say in 1 Peter 1, 17? 
be judged according to your work. And what does Paul say in Romans 2? You will receive judgment according to your works. And in the parable of the sheep and the goats, what was the difference between the sheep on the right and the goats on the left? What they did or didn't do. Yeah. The ones that gave food to the hungry brother and put clothes on the hungry brother enter in. The ones who didn't and said, be warmed and filled, they're thrown into the lake of fire. So question, were those guys redeemed by their hospitality and almsgiving? No. No chance. Yeah, not a chance. But did it make a difference at the day of judgment when they were being judged? Absolutely. Yeah. So redeemed by works? No. Judged by works? Yeah. Without grace, without the blood of Christ, we couldn't survive judgment by works. For example, who of us would like to stand before God on the day of judgment without the blood of Jesus and just our works? I mean... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, because we could point to some things we obeyed, but that's not the problem. Yeah. The problem is the sins, Jonathan. Uh, what you just said really kind of reminds me, it's kind of like the equivalent of, you know, being arrested for, you know, we'll just say murder. You're arrested for murder and you're put on trial and you go to the judge and you say, yeah, but I pay my taxes and I'm really nice to my neighbor and, uh, you know, I follow the speed limit and all that kind of stuff. The judge is going to say that doesn't matter. <laughs> um, you, you murdered the guy. Um, so, you know, that gets back to one of the earlier points in James. And then also we had a comment come in from PJ. Um, PJ said it's easier to say I'm a Christian without showing much, if any, fruit. It's harder to show your faith and prove that through your actions. And absolutely, it's grace through faith in Jesus, which is the message of Romans. So, yeah, good comment. PJ. Very good. Very good. Uh, so biblical faith doesn't stop at faith only. Uh, well, we jumped ahead there in our animation. It's a faith. <laughs> for example, by faith, Abel did something. By faith, Noah did something. By faith, Abraham went somewhere. You know, it'd be a pretty empty chapter. By faith, Abel believed, but offered, you know, with the same attitude and actions as Cain. By faith, Noah believed, but didn't build the ark. By faith, Abraham stayed in earth. That, that doesn't accomplish anything. I like uh, 1130. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. When? After they'd been encircled for seven days. So how did the walls fall? By faith or in the power of God or by Israel's own work and power? Faith in the power of God. Yeah. But when? In the by faith alone or after submission of faith? Uh, and I want to finish with this chart. And then if there's any time left, comments from you guys. Look at these. Oh, so James is not a technical discussion of atonement and redemption it's a proverbs like practical thing about life and if you think that you can you know ignore your brother's needs and just say oh but i got faith demons believe that's not going to do any good paul discusses where redemption comes from it's by grace through the blood of Christ, and we trust in him for that, and our works don't do that. Um, but this is uh, means, condition, and result. Let's talk about the difference between means and condition real quick. Uh, if there, I've got a light right here. You can't see it. Let's try the one there in the back. There we go. There's light. How much of that light did I just produce by my own power? None. Right. So why did I bother to flip the switch? Wouldn't turn on unless you flip the switch. Yeah. The means is the electrical battery. The condition was that I flipped the switch. There's no power in the condition, but it's necessary. So in life, we need to realize that we're in darkness and we need to walk out of the darkness and get into the light. 
but the power is in God, Justin. So I think all that is exactly right. And I think there are times where we, we sort of, you know, we're trying to keep it between the doctrinal ditches, if you will. Faith works. Um, faith only works only. And uh, in our time, I see people um, readily going off into the faith only kind of discussion. Like if you just believe, if you just believe, you live however you want to live. And we wouldn't say it that way, but you just basically, I'm not a great person, but I love Jesus and he'll forgive me. That, that's no, that, that's, that's not understanding the connection between faith and works. But I also see uh, in our time um, and see historically people who depended more on works as well. Yeah. And in James 2, 18, there's somebody out there who's saying, well, James, you have faith, but I've got works. And so I, I see this kind of working on the other side of things too, where someone will say, well, that faith business, like, look, I'm, I'm going to pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I'm, I'm going to do the work. And based on the earlier discussion, well, verse eight, if you really fulfill the royal law, I mean, do you really want to go and stand before God based on your works only? And I think sometimes we dissect faith and works. And our James point is, look, they're indissectable. Like faith and works, it matters what you believe, and you're going to live based off of what you believe is true. And it matters what you do because it demonstrates what you believe is true. And so too often, I think we try to dissect them. And James kind of does the dissecting for us to show you can't really have one without the other. You can't go to God and say, judge me by my works. You're, you're going to be in big trouble. And you can't say, just judge me by my faith, but not my works. That's not the way it, it really functions. Yeah, it, it's got to it's go together. And like, like I mentioned earlier, both the first and last references to faith in Romans is in the concept, the, the, the construction of obedience. Our time's up. Let me go through this chart real quickly here. Um, look at these texts and see how you can break them down into the means and the condition and the result. John 3.16, what's the means of salvation? God gave his son so that whosoever, and what's the condition? Believe. And what's the result? Not, Not perish. perish. All right, Hebrews 5.9. Who's the source of salvation? Christ. To who? To obey. To obey him. Romans 1.16. What's the power of salvation? Gospel. gospel. The gospel. Yeah. And I don't think there he means five things we're told to do. That's not what he means. He's talking about the good news of what Jesus did for us on the cross. That's mm -hmm. what saves those who do believe. Uh, sometimes gospel is used to, in a broader sense of including our, our, our reaction to it in Thessalonians. But the core here is the good news of what Jesus did, who died for our sins and rose from the dead. Right, the gospel is the power of God to those that believe. Ephesians 2, by, there's your means, grace are we saved through what? The condition faith. Titus 3, not by works we did, but by his mercy, he saved us through the generation. First John 1, uh, right, written there to Christians, if we will walk in the light, the blood will cleanse us. If we confess our sins, we are forgiven through the blood. And if we continue in the faith, we will be found without blemish through death. Summing up, this is what God does. How much of sin is paid for by column A? 100%. Yeah. This is things that we're required to do. How much, what in that list pays for our sins? None of it. Absolutely nothing. Uh, and, and this is the result. It's not that it's not that what God does is one of the batteries in the flashlight and what we did is the other one and we're providing half the power. No. God, the, the gospel is the power of salvation. It's not our power, but because he's Lord, he has the right. Yeah, he died for murderers and prostitutes, but not so they can keep murdering and prostituting into heaven. You know, he, the, the power is in Christ, but he requires those responses. Uh, biblical faith repents, it confesses, it submits in baptism, and it follows. Uh, sorry, I went over time. Any comments on any of that before we wind up? Go ahead. Dan, did you have something? 
No. I heard, um, I think some of you may know Paul Earnhardt. I think I heard him say this in a sermon, um, that as far as salvation is concerned, uh, it's sort of like the mouse that catches a ride on the back of the elephant and crosses the bridge. And they get to the other side, and the mouse says to the elephant, we sure didn't shake that thing, didn't we, big fella? And uh, you know, we, we have less than a mouse's part in all this. Uh, we're not really contributing right. anything but we do have to participate. You know, we, we've got to go across. And uh, that, that silly little illustration makes me feel kind of silly, but I think it's meant to, you know, just be this humble place. Yeah. Yeah. So obedience of faith, it matters what we believe uh, because what we believe is going to change how we live. But you can't just believe it and say, isn't that great information, what we know about Jesus and not transfer it into action. Yeah, we can't atone, we can't redeem, we can't save ourselves but we can submit right and out of respect and learning to be servants we have yeah we must submit and it is for that submission that abraham in this passage is called a friend of god you know i, I can't just say hey i know some things about you god and i sure am glad to be a student of yours but if we're not actually participating we're not like joining ourselves in the things that he's doing we're not finding interest in the same things he's finding interest in we're not really friends of god mm -hmm. All right. Well, um, that is all the time that we have for this week. So thank you guys for your discussion through this chapter and about that, uh, those topics. Scott, you got one more thing you want to say before we wrap up? Something he said, the washing in Titus 3 is also what God does. Mm -hmm. The actual washing is what God does. That's true. Mm -hmm. We submit to it mm -hmm. when we come and make a decision. But it's also interesting to note, being baptized is in the passive. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not, go out and baptize. You don't even get to do it, <laughs> but we submit to, and God washes by the blood. Right. Good point. Thanks. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, that takes us all the way through James chapter two. Um, we'll be happy to continue on in James next week in chapter three, unless there's some other comment or, or question that one of our audience has. Um, and so like always, you can submit your comments and questions about what we just talked about today or, or any other topic uh, to BibleQuest.tv. And we'll be looking through those throughout the week um, and be happy to talk about your questions here starting next week or any uh, show that we have following. So it's all that we have for this week and we will see you all next Tuesday, Lord willing.